0: The sages of old asked the question, who is who is rich? And they answered that person who rejoices in their lot.
1: Welcome to the Mindful Wealth Podcast. Stop financializing everything. What is true wealth? What's the right metric for success? Much of how we live presupposes that our incomes or spending is a good measuring stick but can you really quantify success with a bank balance?
0: Or should we include softer things like learning and love, generosity and gratitude, and happiness and well-being?
2: Good day. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Bob Berg, who co-authored The Go-Giver with John David Mann. So The Go-Giver is a, a Wall Street Journal and Business Week bestseller, has sold over a million copies. I think a uh, Terry and I were speaking earlier, my, my, my book has gotten 10,000 sales, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressed by that kind of, that kind of sales uh, record. Not that that's what, why, we're, why we're having you here on the show, but uh, in the book, he shares kind of a subtle shift in focus that makes business more fulfilling and just as a side benefit, kind of as a lucky offshoot, more profitable as well. So for 30 years, he's helped companies and people more effectively communicate their value and grow their businesses based on referrals. He's on all kinds of best of lists and has been named the 30 most named to the 30 most influential leaders list by the American Management Association. He believes, and I love this, that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional
0: to how many people they serve. Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Jonathan and Terry. Just a pleasure to be with you both. And 10,000 is actually considered a very good number for a book to sell that many copies. I knew I feel successful now. Thank you.
1: Great way to start an interview.
2: <laughs> I feel good. I feel good. Bob, you know what? Do, do you mind? Um, we like to start with some terms. And, uh, you know, we talk about true wealth on the podcast. And we just like to start with understanding
0: how you would define true wealth. Well, the, the sages of old asked the question, who is, who is rich? And they answered that person who rejoices in their lot. So I think that person who is grateful for what they have, uh, you know, with a a family who loves them and a family they love, someone who has, you know, a roof over their head and they have uh, they have food to eat and they have a they have work that they enjoy and whatever it is they have or don't have, you know, if they feel grateful and in that in that sense they're rich and that is is true wealth. Um, but I also think it, it just depends on who the person is. You know, different people define terms in different ways and it's what it means to them. So true wealth can also mean you know, having enough money to be able to live your values more congruently by being able to, to study or travel or give to charity or whatever you, or, if, or buy a big boat if that's what you want. You know? So I, I think all of that is good. I think all of it has its place. When we look at you know true wealth, though, I think it all uh, 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 ultimately comes down to are you happy, and uh, I think if we are, then we're we're wealthy, we're rich.
1: Yeah, that's uh, funny. We actually had some happiness researchers uh, on the show a little while ago, and they definitely had something to say about the correlation of uh, you know happiness and and material wealth and stuff like that. But I wonder if you could just maybe. Um, unpack for us a little bit the five laws that you outline in your book, because I think that's definitely like the kind of the nugget there.
0: Sure. And so so The Go-Giver itself is a, a parable co-authored with John David Mann, who's a remarkable, amazingly talented writer. I'm much more of a how-to guy. So I'm the boring guy. And John is the the, the great writer. And um, the, the, the basic premise that leads to the five laws, the, the premise is that shifting your focus, and that's, you know, that's where it begins, shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others, understanding that doing so is not only a, a more fulfilling way of conducting business, it's the most financially profitable way as well and not for any kind of, you know, way out there, woo woo, magical, mystical type of reasons. It actually makes very rational, logical sense. When you're that person who can take your focus off yourself and place it on serving others, on discovering their needs, their wants, their desires, on helping them overcome their challenges and their problems. When you can move your focus off of yourself and onto helping bring them closer to happiness, people feel good about you. People want to get to know you they like you they trust you they want to be a part of your life they want to be in relationship with you they want to do business with you when the time is right to do that uh, when they need what you what you offer and they also want to tell others about you they want to be your personal walking ambassador so you know so it, it all begins there and then there are five laws that we that uh you mentioned the, the laws of value compensation influence authenticity and receptivity, and they all work together in in harmony. All five of them coming together.
2: Uh, you, you've been on a, a lot of stages. You've coached a lot of people. What do you see? And you know, you actually do uh, reference some of these in the book as well, in terms of like the psychological barriers. But what are some of the biggest obstacles people face when they say, "Hey, let's let's approach, let's use this approach to wealth and fulfillment"?
0: Uh, I don't think they face obstacles in in, in in when they utilize it. I think the obstacles might be in not like anything else, not not understanding how to utilize it you know, correctly. So, for example, we take the first law, the law of value, which says your true worth in the business sense, of course, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment, which, by the way, sounds counterintuitive when you first hear it. Uh, Does that mean you don't make a profit? You're giving more in value than you're taking? No, of course not. You would never stay in business that way. Um, It it means that you understand the difference between price and value. Uh, Price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something, to the end user or beholder in other words what is it about this thing this product service concept idea that brings so much worth or value to another person that they will willingly exchange their money for it and be ecstatic that they did while you make a very healthy profit so what would be for example the accountant who charges you uh who you hire to do your taxes and she charges you a thousand dollars that's her fee or her price a thousand dollars but what value does she provide in exchange. Well, she saves you $5,000 in taxes. She um, uh, saves you countless hours of time. She provides you and your family with the security and the peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. So she actually gave you well over $5,000 in value in exchange for a $1,000 fee or price. She gave you more in value than she took in payment. So you feel great about it, but she also made a very healthy profit. Okay. And so Uh, in this type of of market-based exchange, there should always be two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits, because each of them comes away better off afterwards than they were beforehand. But here's the key. She was able to earn your business not because she was focused on her fee. She was focused on the immense value she was providing you understanding that her fee was simply the result. So this is why John David Mann and I say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which means nothing more than understanding that the value must come first and the money you receive is simply a natural result of that value. Now, here's the thing, we talk about value right? It's, it's the relative worth. In other words, it's in the eyes of the beholder. There's many people who think they're providing value to someone when it's really how they would value something, as opposed to finding out what the other person values. If you do that, you, you kind of get nowhere because no, you know, nobody's going to buy from you because you think it's a value nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet, right or because you need the money they're going to buy from you because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so in other words they find there to be more in value than than what they exchange in in price what what, what is the like what is the challenge
2: to really figuring out what other people value
0: the challenge is this we're all human beings who operate from our own set of beliefs uh these beliefs our belief system is a combination of upbringing environment schooling news media television everything we take in in life but our belief system is pretty much etched in stone by the time we're little more than toddlers mm-hmm. and so most of us we grow up live our entire lives operating from a um um A set of beliefs, what I call an unconscious operating system, thinking that we're operating out of free will and conscious choice when we're really operating out of a matrix that's been set for us by others and well before we were old enough to think critically and question any premises. Now, take it a step further. As human beings, with this belief system, we tend to believe that other people see the world the same basic way that we do. Makes intuitive sense. How could it be anything different? It's all we know. It also happens to be untrue. People see it through their own set of beliefs. So, the, so that's the challenge. How do you overcome this? You ask questions and you listen. And you listen with an understanding that you don't understand. <laughs> you, you listen in a way that you are, you are wanting to kind of get what they're thinking, and you're going to ask clarifying questions always kindly and tactfully and, and, and so forth, but you're always going to do so in a way so that you're never assuming you know what another person thinks. Your goal is to learn what they value. At that point, now you've created that context for success.
1: Yeah, and if we uh, did that in more than just a business way, like, I feel like you had me so, so so sold with actually really listening to people that like, if we just did that in the various different walks of life that we had, it would be a very different world.
0: Well, I, I mean, I think you're right. Uh, I, any Any universal law or principle pretty much works across the board. And when we talk about success, we can look at success in terms of financial, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, social, relational probably a dozen other ways. And each of the principles you know work across the board. So when you talk about a personal relationship, well, people love to be listened to, don't they? At least most people do, and wanna feel understood. And we can only understand them when we care enough to ask questions and really, really listen, clarify to make sure we understood that what they said is what we heard, and and so forth and and engage in in a a respectful dialogue like that when people feel listened to they feel better about you and they're much more likely to to like and trust you
2: I want to go just a little bit off script here and that and that's who are some of your influences in writing in in you, you and your partner writing this book
0: well um I mean, my main influence in my my life were, you know, my parents. You 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 would mention too about your you know your dad, and and I think we're all probably all three of us are lucky and fortunate to have good role models like that, and so so that's certainly an advantage. Uh, other people I saw growing up, you know, you you learn from everyone, right? Uh, some uh, Jim Rohn used to say, from some people you learn what to do, and from other people you learn what not to do. <laughs> and so I, I saw all sorts of examples. I I seem to notice that the people who were happiest and the people who are the most well adjusted and the people who are the most financially successful all seem to have a focus on in some way, making other people's lives better, Mm. you know. They dealt with people in a more much more constructive way tactful and kind and didn't mean they were pushovers didn't mean they were weak not absolutely not um but it meant they always they understood human nature and they understood how to get the most out of our out of themselves out of ourselves as well as those we deal with when we can build everyone in the process we're looking at sustainable success and so you know those are the people i kind of looked at now interestingly enough pindar who is uh he, he is he was the main mentor of the book he um is based on on one of uh terry's fellow canadians only from uh toronto though his, his name is bob proctor and he's a uh he's a, a very well-known coach and speaker uh, and mentor to many on abundance and, and prosperity and so forth and and a great just a great guy and uh, very sharing and giving, and and so John kind of. It's not that we modeled Pindar off of him, but as we were as we were writing Pindar's character, we thought of Bob Proctor. Same kind of. We we had him. We pictured both. Pictured him looking like like Bob, sounding like him, having the same mannerisms. So anybody who knows Bob Proctor and read the book, and then when we tell them that you know we kind of based Pindar, oh yeah, absolutely. That's you know that's him. So I didn't connect
2: those dots but my dad gave me Bob Proctor tapes when I was probably in high school. Uh, so I I've, yeah. I've heard Bob Proctor.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and Bob was uh years ago, he was very big with Nightingale Conant. He was yep. he was, you know, as he calls himself, one of um one of uh Mr. Conant's uh lieutenants. Yep. And uh, yeah, so absolutely.
1: We're discovering some interesting links. Um I wanted to, um, just kind of step out of maybe the, like the scope of, of, of some of your writing and ask you, um, you know, I think we're in a, like a cultural or a social moment right now where, uh, accumulating wealth or, uh, you know, looking after material success is kind of seen as something that drags other people down. Um, I think there's, you know, the sense that there's only a certain amount of pie and, uh, you know, we are aware that the, 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 gap between the rich and the poor has been uh, steadily increasing and so if we take that sort of economic data and the social malaise that accompanies it um, do you think that striving for success is in some way selfish? I have a feeling that you're going to say no. But given the current context, um, how do you sort of put those two things together? That on the one hand, you're looking at getting you know, financial success from providing value, but on the other hand, there's something about the way the system's running right now that seems to push wealth to the top and maybe not serve those who are a little bit lower down?
0: Well, that, you know, that's a, a very multifaceted question, and so so let's kind of go and see how much of it I can remember as we're talking and remind me if there's any part I, I might have missed. So first, you know, the false premise um, is that is that wealth is a finite zero sum game. It's not uh, especially in a free market based economy. Um, which neither of our our two countries truly has, but it's still, both of our countries still have a basically market-driven economy. But to the degree that it operates as a free market system, free market simply meaning no one's forced to do business with anyone else. People do so on their own volition. They're allowed to seek happiness their own way, and they're allowed to buy and sell and trade with one another freely um, with very limited, interference by uh, government other than to, of course, make sure that force and fraud is is not committed, okay? That's basically what a free market is, it has nothing to do with Republican, Democrat, or anything like that. It's just freedom as opposed to unfreedom, <laughs> okay? Um, and so to the degree that a, that a free market is allowed to, to operate, the only way, the only way a person can get wealthy is by providing value to a marketplace that freely buys because they believe they will be benefit they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so okay so you look at we go back to that accountant and the accountant charges $1000 remember that accountant saved the other person $5000 plus the non-financial benefit such as time which allows that person to create more income if they choose to or spend that time in some other way that will bring them closer to happiness because everyone has the right to pursue happiness in their own way, uh, so long as they don't infringe upon anyone else's right to do the same. Um, and so, and the peace of mind, that's a, you know, again, that's that's more profit as well to that person that has peace of mind and in exchange earned a thousand dollars. That helped everyone. No one got hurt because one person, Uh, earned a thousand dollars and the other one paid a thousand dollars. Both of them um, uh, achieved more. The same as you go into a pizza restaurant and let's say you order a couple of pizzas. You take your family there, you order a couple of pizzas. It's uh, $40. Okay. So the $40 that you paid, what did you get from it? Well, you certainly got uh, a meal that you really enjoyed. If you didn't think you'd enjoy it, you wouldn't have gone there okay so you got the value there you also save time from not having to cook uh you got to have a delightful evening with your family and have you know fellowship and fun with your family or have pizza what's more fun than pizza uh the the restaurant uh, the people at the restaurant are nice and friendly and they make you feel good and they make you feel comfortable okay so you receive much more than the four value than the 40 dollars you paid for and the restaurant owner probably between the ingredients for the pizzas and uh, keeping the place open, the machinery, the stuff, probably cost six or $7. So he made a great profit himself. No one lost, everybody won. Mm -hmm. Then you take the people who are employed, who then go out and spend their money somewhere else because they want more in value than what they're paying for while someone else makes a profit. So when when we operate freely, it's not a zero-sum game. It builds. It actually value builds upon value. Okay, so that's the first part. Uh, let's see. You would you would mention. So is it is it selfish? Uh, well, first again, it always depends how you define a term. You know, is is it selfish to be successful? First, what do you mean by success? Now, again, success can be uh, a good feeling, a feeling of joy and peace of mind. To me, that's success but financial success is also a form of success. So if you mean financial success, is it selfish to attain financial success? Uh, it, again, depends what you mean by selfish. Does it mean you're you're acting congruently with yourself? Well, sure. But I think in the terms of what you're saying, is it an evil or bad thing? No, not at all. So long as you're providing significantly more in value than what you're receiving, you've actually contributed to society, contributed to the economy, contributed to everything around you while you're actually growing. What we need to do is we need to teach people how to get wealthy, not bring people down to everybody being, you know, just as poor and miserable uh, together.
1: But I wonder, um, you know, if I can just to play devil's advocate for a second, like I think the, um, you know, economic transactions that you use as examples, like in those examples, it's very like your model works very clearly. But if we're talking about like kind of what's going on, like in, you know, let's say the the 2021 economy, like you've got, let's say, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Google, like kind of these big, uh, you know, giants. And if you take the example of Facebook, so, for example, like I don't pay to use Facebook basically like Facebook is uh, trying to keep my eyes on it to then package that marketing space and sell it to companies who want to advertise to me. So I mean in a sense like is you know Zuckerberg providing investor value? I think he is. Is he providing value to marketers? I think he is. Um, But are you know if you value like what is the contribution of that let's say to society and then what do you know Um, the people who buy Facebook stocks versus what does a a Facebook CEO earn versus what do like does the person who cleans the office earn like I'm finding myself playing this devil devil's advocate but like I just wonder like in that sort of economic context where those are the types of modern transactions we have. Like, of course the pizza restaurant is still there, but like how many of that is McDonald's where you now walk in and like type a weird thing on a screen and then it spits out a ticket and then you go and give that ticket to the person who's like paid 15 bucks an hour. And you know what I mean? Like.
0: Okay. So, so here's what I would say uh, to that. First of all, that let's say Facebook. Okay. They're adding, whether you or I think Facebook is a good thing. We have the choice whether to participate in Facebook or not. If you find it to be of value, participate in it. If you don't find it to be of value, don't participate in it, that, that's fine. If someone wants to buy ads, they have a right to do that or they have the ability to do that. If, if Facebook sells them the ads and they do it, will, as long as they do it willingly, you, you know, anything that you try to do to stop that is um, taking away people's freedoms. So you, you've got to decide what you know. Where do you where do you go with that? Um, I can't tell you whether Facebook adds value to you because you're you. You pursue happiness your way, and I pursue it my way. You know, it's the same with Twitter and 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 the others. Um, I think we and as, as far as McDonald's goes, you know personally, uh, I I find it abhorrent to kill an animal in order for people and to for people to eat an animal. Okay, so I find McDonald's disgraceful because. They kill animals, assuming they actually do have meat in their burgers. Um, I find that horrible. There's no value in that to me. But obviously, a lot of human beings find it to be of value because McDonald's still seems to operate at a profit. I pursue happiness my way and according to my values, so I don't eat meat and different, anything that comes from an animal. And other people do. So what one person, remember, value is always in the eyes of the beholder, right? Um, the person making $15 an hour at McDonald's accepted the job because they felt that their alternative was to not make fifteen dollars somewhere else now should they continue to be happy with fifteen dollars i wouldn't be and you might not be but maybe they would or probably not and they might end up uh creating something like amazon like uh uh who's the guy with amazon.com uh
2: bezos bezos,
0: bezos who used to work at mcdonald's okay so in other words it's a stepping stone it's not supposed to be i mean i'm by the way this is not an argument about minimum wage Mm -hmm. that's not what we're talking about i'm talking about that if people are allowed to operate freely now we have to ask the question and this is where i think playing the devil's advocate really comes in and is very legitimate and that is well why then are are so many people rich but other people just seem to not be and why is this wide okay now look at where we are not operating from a free market look at the crony now i don't know about canada although my friends in canada say it's pretty much the same thing there i know in the united states our political system is rampant with something we call cronyism or corporatism okay and that is where the lobbyists on k street in washington dc not to mention in the different state houses they make uh, they their clients, give them the money to basically bribe politicians to make laws, rules, and regulations that keep other people from competing and give them the unfair advantage. What drives me a little nuts is that people really think that's free market capitalism. No, no, it isn't it's cronyism or corporatism. And whether it's a, you know, whether it's a, a, a business or a special interest, that's what hurts. Because what happens is when you've got a company or an industry paying government for special rules and regulations, it means the little guys can't get in there to compete, which means yep. there's no downward pricing competition because they're keeping people out. But what people blame on free market capitalism is not free market capitalism. right? And so if we go to a free market, okay, that's when we actually um, create the environment where people are able to be free, to grow as they wanna grow, to choose what they want to choose, to live their life however they see fit in whatever way they see fit, again, providing they don't infringe upon the rights of anyone else to do the same. Now we've got an economy that booms, we've got people who, who are, are able to be healthy and happy. And no, it's not paradise and it's not utopia. There's nothing's utopia, uh, you know, on this earth. Right. Um, but it's, boy, it's a whole lot better. So, so those are my answers to your questions. And I'm not saying you have to agree with it you know, that's, that's But I'm saying. That is, that's, uh, that's a prosperity mindset and, and, and so forth. And that's, you know, how I see it. Couple, just a couple of real quick things.
2: I, I know that um, uh, first, first of all, the big the big illusion is that companies like competition, like. If, if, as companies sure. get bigger, they do everything they can to absolutely competition. Absolutely.
0: absolutely. So that's, that's where you get just, this. Yeah, competition. Just because yeah. someone wants to make money doesn't mean they're a free market capitalist. Totally. They yeah. look at all sorts of ways to keep the competition yeah. out. You know, sure. You're right on the mark. And that's what most people just don't understand. They think these big companies want less government. No, the big companies pay for bigger government. And that's yeah. why when people think that government is on the side of the little guy, Oh my goodness. Are you kidding? Yeah. Look what's happened to the little guy. (laughs) At
2: at this, at the same time, there's this, there's this concept of the commons. You know, I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've been in interviews where people talk about the commons and it's really easy for in instances where information is not freely available to everyone that's transacting. It's really easy for a company to, dump something that hurts the environment to that that hurts the people that live in a place that that is that is negative right and so the individual doesn't see that the individual doesn't have the opportunity to do that as well so there is a certain amount of unfairness in the total freedom of free market capitalism or actually
0: maybe that's a good example of they're getting protections from from yeah the government of course the absolutely absolutely they are because it, remember you don't remember the right to to live your life pursue happiness however you see fit but then the other part providing you don't infringe upon the rights of anyone else to right. do the same you can't dump chemical based junk on somebody else's you know area or lawn whatever that that should no but, but People get, politicians get paid off to either look the other or make special rules that say it's okay. Oh yeah. What, you know, and again, there's nothing conspiratorial here. I mean, just do your research and reading and you, you know, you'll kind of, you'll kind of see, but, uh, and obviously it's something that, you know, I hold of high value, uh, and, and to, uh, to be able to understand and, and, and so forth. So it's, uh, you know, that, that can make it frustrating, but at the same time, my feeling is to the degree we can always, Spread the message that, you know, again, wealth is not a zero sum game. When there's, to the degree there's freedom, it's the degree that everyone grows in that kind of economy. I think one of the things that we push back on, or one of
2: the things we see publicly, is while I love the go giver model, it looks to me like a lot of go getters are still very successful. It it looks to me like, you know, there are people that go get and feeling, you know, seemingly take from others. And that's and then we paint them with go giver and say go giver doesn't work because look at this and they're not good. But there are people that are go givers that do really well, but go getters still can be really successful. So can you comment on that? It's not it's not um, it's necessary but not sufficient.
0: Yeah. So let's let's look at that because I think that's a, a very worth worthwhile question. And that is first first by the way we would say we by the way we love go getters because yep. go getters are people who take action. If you right, fo- right, if right, you right. combine being a go getter and a go giver person who's focused on the other person you've got a good a good combination. It's the opposite of a go-giver would be a go-taker. Right, right. good, fair. Yeah. that's the person you're talking about. No, I know, I'm just, uh, you know me, I, I, I'm I, so obnoxious. I just keep defining terms all the yeah. time. You know, I just- Good, good. So, so yeah, so the question is, how is it that go-takers can be successful? I mean, I know go taker. these are people who just the most selfish just think of themselves and all they care about is money and they're right, right? So here's the thing. First, understand it's a big world out there. Yep. There are different ways to get things done, but I'll tell you this, the go taker, okay, who is able to, to, to be, let's say financially successful. It's hard work. It's a lot harder work than being a go giver. Cause you've got no one on your side. Hmm. You know, you can make this, if you're willing to work hard enough and just keep at it and keep at it, you can have a lot of customers. You'll rarely have any loyal customers and hardly ever any referral customers. And to me, it's a lot easier to build your business that way. And that's what go-givers have. But you can still, as a go-taker, sure, you can do that. It's hard to sustain that success, that financial success, but I've seen it done. But those people also, go-takers, even the ones who are able to sustain their financial success are still they tend to have really lousy relationships in most areas of their life. But you'll find that a lot of those times, the reason they're successful is they have a, aside from that they're willing to just continue to work hard, okay, is they tend to have like a particular skill set that kind of allows them to thrive, despite the fact that their focus isn't even in the right place. But here's one other thing, remember, uh, and again, you're talking about in a, a market where people are not forced to buy. So we're not talking about the person who who gets really big. And then and, and one of the reasons is because once they got to a certain point, they were able to buy off politicians to make special rules and regulations that way, okay? Those are go-takers who absolutely and would have, but, but the person who doesn't do that, but is still a go-taker, they still had to find ways to bring value to the marketplace. Because remember, if no one has to buy from you, then you've got to find a way to give them value. It doesn't matter how nasty you are, or it doesn't matter how selfish you are, you've got to provide value to them. And then law two, you've gotta provide value to a lot of them. Law three, you've actually gotta put their interests first before your own. What, but they're a go taker, I know. But in order to do well financially, remember, people are buying for their reasons, not that person's reasons, right? So they've gotta find a way to to give that person what they want. So, you know, those are just a few of the laws, but so sure, can a go-taker do it? Absolutely, we see it a lot, but it's also a pretty big world. And most of the people who are sustainably successful operate from a go-giver standpoint.
1: Yeah. I think that's, I, I love that distinction. Like, you know, as I was listening to what you said, like I, I come from the real estate industry and what you're saying is so true because, you know, you'll see like, especially real estate brokers, like some of them are really in the market to help their clients and some of them are there for the money, but even still the ones who are there for the money, they're like, in some instances, they do put their clients' priorities first. They it's have just to
0: that or ultimately, the not right. <laughs> Ultimately, it's about them, right? But still, but they have to put the person's interest first because the person's not going to buy the house because they want them to buy the house.
2: Exactly.
0: (laughs) That's, and see, that's why I love the idea of a free market because a free market means the customer's the boss, okay? When you've got cronyism, the customer's not the boss. You have to buy from a certain thing or the cronyism has made competition untenable and you can only buy from that one part. So, you know, that's why, and again, and and for people listening who are, who feel a bit defensive when I talk about a free market, free market doesn't mean it's a free for all, you can do whatever you want. No, a free market, you cannot commit force or fraud. Absolutely not. Uh, Is there ever a time for some regulations? Of course, uh, when it's going to, when it's an obvious protection of the thing, just understand that most of the lots and lots and lots of regulations we see are more politically motivated and cash exchanges hands between politicians and i think to have them happen so you know i always say start with freedom and where you have to you know go a little bit off that path then you know then you can then you can go in that direction a little bit but but that's why i'm so passionate about about free markets because it is the only one in which the customer is actually in control
1: Um, So let me ask you maybe a more practical question as we kind of get towards wrap up. Um, So we found that true wealth seems to stem from simple daily mental practices and like very kind of fine-grained action steps. So could you speak maybe in a little bit more depth about what some of those things might be? Like, do you have like a, you know, an action routine or like some kind of steps that if I was to say, okay, I want to get out of bed tomorrow and behave like a go-giver? Like, is there a top three of, stuff that i should do
0: well i think and by the way i'm sorry i'm sweating so much i don't know what's going on with the lights and everything but i so i'm you know here's following the whole thing so some my apologies if that's uh annoying. but
2: <laughs> it <laughs> doesn't matter to us
0: does not matter to do us pouring down you know from the, the um um yeah i mean I, I think we all have our routines and i think what what the best thing the best routine is the one that works for you you know So I get up I give thanks I I I check my social media and my emails which say don't do that first well I don't do it on my phone I mean I come downstairs first I get on my my desktop. But to me it works for me because it allows me to clear out everything from the night before and kind of feel like I'm starting the day off on a fresh start. My trainer she comes in, uh, in the morning just about as I'm finished with that works me out keeps me at 63 years old not totally you know. um uh, you know like the tin man from the wizard of oz can't move, you know and <laughs> things like that um and then i i you know do about 45 minutes of reading and then my you know i start to uh, get to work and what i'm doing you know that's my my routine and i pretty much do the same when i'm in town i do the same thing every single day you know and and i think part of that is it you know there's there it's that saying you know there's freedom in discipline right or freedom in routine. i've created a a routine for myself that frees me up to not have to think too much, but to just kind of do those things that are necessary. So when I do that in the morning, I kind of feel like I'm starting the day. Boom! I'm I'm just ready to go. But I but other people have their own. Some people will not even look at emails till you know three in the afternoon or something. So you know if that works for them, that's what they should do. As as a as a wrap, I, I want to. I have the morning habit too. It's
2: awesome. Morning habits incredibly important. Could, could you could you speak to our listeners? in depth, a little bit more depth about the first law and kind of challenge them to put that into practice in the way that Pindar challenges Joe?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, what, what Pindar said was just apply the laws, you know, apply each law that night. So there are five laws, right there, you know, value, compensation, influence, authenticity, receptivity, just apply the law that day. Don't think too much about it. Don't think about why it won't work and don't feel you have to be perfect when you apply it. You don't have to be just take the action. Right. And so I think as we do that, we then, you know, we we form that habit. And so in terms of value, we always have to ask the question and it needs to come from an authentic place. What is it that I can say or do or write or post or tweet or what have you that's going to bring value to another human being? And by the way, it may be as simple as holding the door open for someone or when you're at the, you know, the local play, you know, pouring their coffee when you see they have their cup out. you know, it might be uh, sending someone a, a handwritten note just to say, hey, how are you? I'm thinking of you. Uh, you know, go get them. It might be to to comment on someone's tweet or LinkedIn post just to, to say, wow, that's a great idea. You know, thank you for sharing with us. It might be that there's some information for a prospective customer, and it might be about their business, or it might be about their, uh, you know, it might be letting them know that a... Uh, Uh, a new soccer camp uh, has opened or football outside the U.S. camp has opened for young, you know, soccer phenoms. when you know they have a 13-year-old who's really interested in soccer. You know, it just, it does, how do you bring value to another person? You think about them. You place their interests first. You know, you don't think about, well, what am I, what do I want? You just kind of think, and again, nothing self-sacrificial about it. Um, You just focused on that other person. I like to say internally motivated, outwardly focused. Beautiful, Bob. Thanks very much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Appreciate you both.